Today is the first time the church celebrates St. Gregory of Narek, abbot and doctor. So I think it's good to take a moment to honor this man. A couple of years ago, Pope Francis announced that he would be adding, or the church would be adding, some additional saints to the calendar. They're not new saints, but they're new to the calendar of universal church uh, liturgical calendar, and, and uh, most of them were kind of familiar, I had heard of them. But this one, Gregory of Narek, I remember saying, who's he? Never heard of him. Maybe you have the same reaction, who's Gregory of Narek? Well, turns out, of course, he's an extraordinary man, and he represents an aspect of the church's history and of geography that is probably not well known to any of us. He's from Armenia. I remember thinking, Armenia, oh yeah, that's a country that used to be in Turkey. And I thought there was no such thing as an Armenia, but yesterday I looked it up, there really is a country, Armenia, I didn't even know it. Maybe, I don't know if you knew this. There really is a country, Armenia. It, it's very small. It's to the, on the eastern side of Turkey, so east of where the big earthquakes were a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it borders uh, Turkey, Turkey is on its west, and then to the south is Iran, so it's in that part of, I don't know what you call it, Middle East, or they say Western Asia. And uh, it used to be bigger. I Armenian, there's a, there's a quite a developed culture, uh, a develop, developed religious culture and cultural identity. And Gregory of Narek is one of the shining stars, not only of the church in Armenia, but of Armenian culture and language. A uh, doctor of the church, great theologian, great mystical theologian, a great pastor, teacher. Now, Pope Francis, I think, deliberately made, uh, brought this man to the forefront in order to honor the Armenian culture as well, because Armenians suffered about a hundred years ago an extraordinary genocide. The Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire tried to wipe them off the face of the earth and killed hundreds of thousands of them, if not a million, if not a million, of Armenians. So that's just an extraordinary evil that took place in the 20th century, among many other evils that took place in the 20th century, the Armenian genocide. And I, I think the church, well, anyone should stand against genocide, but the church uh, recognizing the dignity of each person and the goodness of human cultures it needs to keep bringing up these examples of greatness from different cultures. Yesterday, we reflected on the satanic temptations, the, the, the work of the, of the tempter to try to get Jesus to deviate from his mission. Of course, the tempter failed miserably. But he doesn't fail miserably in, in our lives and in the lives of nations and cultures. And one of, the, one of the proofs of the existence of the devil is huge evil phenomena. And the 20th century is, has been pointed out by, by, by Pope John Paul, first of all, but by many people as the century which witnessed the worst evils 
of man against man. Huge populations wiped out, the Russians, millions of people, Hitler, millions of people, the Jews suffered, millions of people, the Stalin, the Pol Pot, Mao, all these, I mean, and now you've got the, the Armenian genocide is included in there and say, well, that can't just be, you know, bad people, psychological disorder, political conflict, even religious differences. It can't be. It's just too huge. Who could ever be that evil? Who could think of trying to kill six million people? That's, <laughs> that's demonic. That's really demonic. So, and that's what, the, you know, Satan is a liar and a murderer. A liar and a murderer. Anyway, so here's uh, St. Gregory of Narek, an example not only of Armenian culture, but of holiness in the Armenian church, the Armenian tradition. Okay, so this is, we, his feast day was put on the calendar in 2021, but in, but in 2022, which would have been the first year, it fell on a Sunday. February 27th fell on a Sunday. So that means this year is the first time Gregory of Narek is honored and probably no one will honor him because no one ever heard of him. He's not in any of the books. There's no prayers. And, uh, so, and it's Lent, so our focus is on Lent, not on the saints. But at least we can recognize the, the, the beauty of holiness in this man from the Middle Ages in a culture and a place that we're not that familiar with. Now, looking at the scriptures today, we realize God considers how we treat one another to be very important. God not only expects us to honor him and, and rightly looks, looks to our response to his love with gratitude and worship, but he also wants us to treat our neighbor with love, with respect. And the Bible is full of guidelines for how we're supposed to live together. So God thinks it's very important how we treat each other, which, you know, if people have the wrong understanding of God, people who think God is just a distant, you know, a distant power out far away, you know, he doesn't really care that much about what goes on in day-to-day -day life. That's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible has all kinds of guidelines for us. And also, uh, points out the terrible consequences when we don't love our neighbor. So today's first reading, an excerpt from the book of Leviticus, one of the books that people don't read that much because it's full of rules, it's full of uh, uh, you know, very detailed prescriptions. Well, here's the section in which there's all, a, a whole number of guidelines of what to do or what not to do in relating to our neighbor. Don't lie, don't speak falsely, don't defraud, no corruption, no robbery, don't curse the deaf, don't, don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind, don't be dishonest when you're judging, you know, treat people impartially according to standards of justice, don't hate your brother in your heart, and all these. And, and after the Lord says each of these, these prohibitions, what we shouldn't do, he says, I'm the Lord, as if to say, I'm the one who understands how you're supposed to act. So when I say, don't defraud your neighbor, take it seriously, I'm the Lord. Treat your neighbor the way I treat him. Treat your neighbor the way I want you to treat him. There's a standard, it's not just arbitrary. So that, that's very clear. 
in the, in, in the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. When Jesus comes, he reveals an even deeper motivation, a, a deeper meaning to love of neighbor because he has identified himself with each person. When God became man, suddenly man is intimately connected with God. We're not just yes, we're created in the image and likeness of God. That's from, that's from creation. But now we're incorporated into the body of Christ and what we do to each other, we do to him. And this is what's very clearly revealed in, in the gospel, today's gospel, the famous parable of the, of the uh, last judgment, the separation of the sheep and the goats. It's a, it's a really challenging gospel. It's a real a great message for Lent. There's going to be a great separation of the just and the unjust, the, the sheep and the goats. And the basis on which, the, the, the one criteria on which God is going to judge us is how we treat our least brother or how we don't treat him. Now we think, okay, there's going to be a separation. There'll be good people in heaven and evil people in hell. So as long as you're not an evil person, well, then you won't go to hell. That's how we think. Maybe Hitler, maybe Stalin, maybe some, you know, someone who wiped out millions of people, but I never killed anybody. I never, you know, committed adultery. I never, you know, you know, we pick up big crimes and we say, well, I didn't do that, so therefore I'm not one of the bad people. But look at what the, the, the goats are shocked when they discover that the reason why they are excluded is because of what they didn't do. Not because of the evil that they did, but because of what they failed to do. And this is really, really almost frightening. <laughs> How many things have we not done? How many of the little ones have we not served? Well, we probably can't count them. But this is what Jesus says. What you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. Now, it's a, it's a deliberate challenge, and, it's, and it's, it's a revelation that the little one, the least person that we meet in a day, the most insignificant, poorest, worst, ugliest, meanest, whatever person we meet today, is... Jesus in disguise. And, what, and how we treat him or her is how we treat the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says it himself. What you do not do to one of them, you do not do to me. This is not the only place in the, in the New Testament where God makes it clear that he identifies completely with his people. Remember the conversion of Saul. Saul was the persecutor, he was persecuting the church, and Jesus spoke to him from heaven and said, why are you persecuting me? What you do to them, you're doing to me. Now here it's, here it's even more challenging, because I mean, we're, we're not out persecuting, I hope, but we might easily be neglecting sins of omission that don't even, don't even awaken our conscience. This is, a, this is a lengthened challenge for us. Not 
not only don't don't commit genocide of whole peoples, not only don't do you know evil, corrupt, violent things to people, but don't neglect to care for the little ones. Don't neglect. Don't don't walk by the stranger or the sick person or the, the hungry person and do nothing. That's a challenge for us, a, a Lenten instruction for us, a, a guideline for us. It doesn't mean that God isn't merciful. I mean, here he is, he separates the sheep from the goats, but he wants everybody to be sheep. That's why he, that's why he teaches us this parable, so that we will, we, will, we will change and follow the gospel. So Lent is a time of conversion. Part of our conversion is to open our eyes to the presence of God in our least neighbor.